Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, July the 28th, 2020, titled Aquaman 2 vs. Avatar 2, releasing on the same day, Who Moves? And remember guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also get a question on the live questions part of the show simply by using the tip link in the description of this podcast. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. You know, the movie theater industry has been the major topic of conversation within our little movie sphere for the past little while. I mean, obviously, the the coronavirus itself is the story. But within our little movie sphere, the story as a repercussion is asking what's been going on with the movie theaters. The movie theaters were looking at reopening on the end of July. They have now bumped that. Now, AMC came out the other day and said they are now re-aiming for their relaunch in the middle of August, and now Regal Cinemas has also come out and said that they are going to aim to have their theaters open for mid-August. Now, I expect that Cinemark will probably follow suit, although I think some Cinemarks have been opening around the country where they can anyway, whereas like Regal and AMC seem to be taking a will launch when we can launch rather than just the odd theater here and there. So they're going to come out mid-August as well. Now, of course, they've been boistered by the fact that Warner Brothers has just said they're going to release Tenant worldwide in 70 different countries in at the end of August, but they are going to aim to have it in select cities in the United States on September 3rd and September 4th. So that's buoyed them. And as a matter of fact, when you go to Comscore, there is still a release schedule right now for the next number of weeks. As we go down that release schedule, as of right now, still unhinged, is still technically scheduled to open up in North America on August 21st. And if Regal and AMC can have a bunch of their theater open theaters open by that point, and that's a big if. Also on August 21st is Inception. Warner Brothers announced a while ago they're going to release Inception or re-release Inception to kind of build up to uh, Tenant. On August 28th, of course, we've got the New Mutants. Disney just reaffirmed at Comic-Con at home that they're going to open New Mutants on August 28th. We'll see how many theaters are going to be open for that. Uh, Fatima is coming. Uh, the personal history of David Copperfield, which is something Disney's been very big on. On September 1st, this one you got to have a big asterisk beside. On September 1st, we got Bill and Ted Face the Music. Obviously, that's not going to play in any Regal cinema, in any AMC cinema, in any of the major cinemas, because, of course, that's also a VOD release. It's a day and date VOD release, and most of the major theater chains have a rule against letting movies come into their theaters that are also releasing on streaming on the same day. So don't expect to see Bill and Ted in most of the movie theaters, but I'm sure there are going to be some select uh, independent theaters that will. September 3rd, of course, we've got Tenant, which was just announced Uh, on September uh, 18th. The King's Man is still slated to come out. Kajillionaire, that's with Evan Rachel Wood, is slated to come out. And then we get into September 25th. We got that Gerard Butler film, Greenland. So there are still films. There are still movies here on these release dates right now. Uh, Rob, you take a look at that. We see, maybe we can use the word momentum. We've got AMC saying they're going to open mid-August. Regal has now come out and said they're opening mid-August, obviously buoyed up by the fact that Warner Brothers is saying they're going to try to put out Tenant where they can in September 3rd. Uh, what is your interpretation of this? How do you see this? And, and is it possible? Are we in a position right now that... Yeah, we are going to get these theaters open and we're going to see where they can, because I think there's going to be some places in the U.S. that are probably still going to restrict theaters from being allowed to open, but there are going to be other places that can. I, I, I don't know. Does it look like we're going to get 
Tenet September 3rd in a bunch of places and New Mutants on the 28th. How do you interpret all this? Well, you know, I mean, I keep reading whether it's drive-ins only. I mean, the people got to get their movies out. Movie theaters got to open. And I'll tell you, there are some places in the country that has been able to sort of get this this uh, virus as under control as it's been. Obviously, unfortunately, Los, uh, Los Angeles County and California are not one of those places. So I think it's time to get the car tuned up for those crossing state lines journeys to movie theaters. But I, I look, I want to see movie theaters reopen. I do. But every time, like, I, I just keep thinking, my God, I mean, Major League Baseball, they're trying to start their season, but then, oh, nope, a game is canceled because there's 15 COVID cases amongst one team. You know, and, and this virus is still out there running rampant. And when we put people together, groups of people, it just doesn't seem like the best idea now. And I guess we're going to have to, you know, we're going to actually have to wait and see. I mean, I I think they're going to do it, John. I don't I don't know if Tenet will stay on its date, but I think it I think they're going to do it. And um, I, I think the movie theaters are going to open, but we're going to have to see. Does that mean that the spread of covid will be be not a factor or two weeks after these theaters are open and showing movies are going to find out that there's clusters of infections we'll see just how good they are i hope for everyone's sake look i'd love nothing better than to go back to movie theaters really right now you, but, you know my you know my take on this like i i am still personally of the belief and i am no medical doctor <laughs> let's 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 be clear about that i am still personally of the belief that done right and responsibly i believe we can go back into movie theaters mm -hmm. and i do believe we can just like we go into restaurants just like we go into grocery stores um i think if done right if you have the right safety precautions put in place you have the right policies in place if you do all that and you do the right social distancing uh, obviously again this has kind of been my mantra i understand you cannot eliminate the risk but you can minimize it you, you can limit the risk. And I think there is a way if movie theaters do what they say they're going to do, if they are monitored, if they are held accountable for making sure they follow the right policies and the right procedures, I believe you can do it. I, I believe that people are required to have their masks on whenever they're moving about a movie theater. I think if you have them socially distant apart while uh, while it, while in the uh, their seating area, if you stagger show times, have 30% limited seating, all that kind of stuff. I think you can do it and do it relatively safely. The question will be, will people, and we are all inherently stupid, will people adhere to those policy and guidelines or will we see, as we've seen in other areas, a bunch of select few morons ruin it for everybody? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I, I still don't know how many theaters we're going to see new mutants open up in. I, I'm not really sure, but I do believe they're going to open it. I just don't own how many theaters I'm like you, Rob. I also believe that they're going to open tenant. I don't know how many theaters are going to open in tenant on September 3rd. It might be 1500 theaters. It literally might be 15. Right. But I believe they're going to open it where they can. Cause I, cause I got a feeling they're just feeling like they need to get the ball rolling. But again, as you and I have been saying this whole time, this is a, a situation that is evolving and changing every day. 
So, I mean, something, some new stat or fact or figure could come out tomorrow that massively sways things one way or the other. It's hard to say this far out, but but right now that seems to be their plan. The question for you guys is, what do you think about this? Regal is now joining AMC saying they're going to reopen their theaters in mid-August in time for a couple of these uh, movies that we just listed off. Do you think they're going to be able to make it? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's go on to one more off the top before we get into our main topics here today. You know, Rob, one of my favorite shows this year, I just absolutely adored it and absolutely loved it, is Mandalorian. I absolutely freaking loved Mandalorian. I even loved a lot of the uh, episodes that some people said was filler. Like, oh my, like that one episode. Uh, where, where they run to ground and, and they're amongst that village where they're taking out the walker and everything. I love that episode. Some people I, I like that episode, too, actually. Some people saying it was filler episode, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was fantastic. I love this series. Absolutely love this series. But something happened, Rob, that even I was not expecting. Mandalorian, the Emmy nominations just came out and Mandalorian has been nominated for the top prize. Mandalorian. The Star Wars show has been nominated for best drama series on television. That is the big award. That's the equivalent of being nominated for best picture at the Oscars. Here are the nominees for outstanding drama series that Mandalorian will be competing against. Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, which by the way, Rob, there's no other show on TV right now that is totally not a show meant for me that I love as much as The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yeah. The uh, Handmaid's Tale is crazy. That is totally not my kind of show. And the last and, season was great. Oh, my God. It's it's it got, And seriously, guys, I know a lot of you have not watched Handmaid's Tale because it's like, that doesn't look like it's for me. I agree. It doesn't look like it's for you. But it's so good. Anyway, uh, Killing Eve, another show that I didn't think looked like for me, and then I got hooked on Killing Eve. Love that. Of course, The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, and HBO's succession. Now, look, I have very little expectation here, very, very little expectation that we're actually going to see a Mandalorian win this category. Look, when you're up against The Crown and Better Call Saul and you're up against, you know, Ozark and you're up against all these things, that's a tall order and that's fine. This is one of those situations where I think the term, you know, incredible honor just to be nominated comes in here, because if you had asked even the most hardcore fans a year ago, hey, you know, that show Mandalorian that's coming, it's actually been nominated for best series. I don't think a lot of people would have believed it. I don't think I would have believed it, but it's it's really amazing to see considering how much I absolutely adore the show. Rob, you hear about Mandalorian being nominated for best series at the Emmys. What were you surprised? Were you expecting this? What do you think its chances are? How do you see this? Uh, no, I I was pretty blown away. I mean, you know, even for all the inroads that science fiction, fantasy, and horror material has made in these various awards categories, you know, Star Wars is something that's been around for 40, 43 years now, and whether people would take it seriously or not, and being that it's for Disney Plus, which is a brand new streamer, and it's only a half an hour long um, for the most part. A surprise all the way around for me. I mean, it's up against the it's up against some of the best television ever. 
Better Call Saul, you know, uh, Succession, Ozark. What? Uh, there's The Crown, there's some, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, you look at this stuff, and it's that is a tough list, man. A tough <laughs> list, but it, it made it on there, and I think that's you know, kudos all the way around to um, the production staff. And I think you know, if nothing else, there's been a lot of science fiction television shows over the years, obviously, but the idea that they could translate Star Wars in live action to a television format as effectively as they had. I mean, the lush production value, the the groundbreaking technology that they're using. I mean, I, I, I think actually it was it was well deserved. I mean, I think for uh, taking taking the theatrical experience and, and putting it on a TV the way they have. I mean, that's happened a lot. There's a lot of good production values with with shows, but I think the Mandalorian um, it's pretty great. You could put it in a movie theater and it would seem right at home. So kudos to everybody involved. Yeah. You know, what's really exciting about this is now, listen, I have no qualms. I, I wouldn't have complained if Mandalorian didn't get nominated. I, no, I would not either. have complained, especially when you look like at the caliber of television that's out there. But one of the exciting things for me about this, when you look at a Mandalorian getting nominated I think what this does is much like when Logan got nominated for best screenplay at the Academy Awards, that kind of, now there had been other comic book films that have won Academy Awards and been nominated in, in, sure. in other categories, but none as significant as screenplay. And I feel like when Logan got that nomination for the significant category of screenplay, it kind of cracked the door open. And then suddenly we've got, we've had two comic book films since then being nominated for best picture. One of the exciting things for me about this Mandalorian development is I cannot help but wonder if this may crack the door open for more genre stuff when it comes to television. I have no complaints that The Witcher didn't get nominated for Best Series. I have no complaints about it. I have no complaints that The Boys didn't get nominated for Best Picture. No complaints. But with Mandalorian getting nominated, I can't help but wonder if that if the boys season two is as good or even better than the boys season one, if Witcher two ends up being as good as, or better than, than the original series sees uh, season of the Witcher, I can't help but wonder if we might see an Emmys either next year or within the next two years where we get multiple shows like Witcher and Mandalorian and whatever being nominated for that top prize. Uh, Rob, do you think that this is a, an aberration, uh, you know, this Mandalorian, or do you think this could be that cracking open the door where we could see more shows in this sort of vein getting these top nominations? What do you think? Well, I think, look, you know, as the as the membership of the the uh, the television academy grows and, and you've got younger members coming in who grew up with this material, I mean, I definitely think that there is a generational prejudice against this kind of material. And, you know, something like Handmaid's Tale is a, it's based on a literary property from a, a venerated uh, author. And these other shows are very they're very highbrow in what they're trying to do, really. And The Mandalorian is based on, you know, Star Wars, this beloved franchise that's been around for a long period of time. And I think there is a there is what I've always called a genre ceiling that needs to be cracked and broken through. We saw that happen with movies, with things like Silence of the Lambs and Lord of the Rings. You know, before that, horror films, even though sometimes 
like an exorcist would get nominated. Horror films, science fiction films have not traditionally done well at the Oscars. And so that that changed. You, you brought it up earlier with Logan. It's having Logan get a screenplay nomination. And as people who grew up with this material, who take it seriously, realize that, you know, it's just as hard to write a great movie like Logan as it is to write, say, Unforgiven, which is dealing with Western tropes. I mean, Western, even Western tropes, the Old West is considered of a higher value, I think, than a superhero movie. But that's changing. Hmm. So I think while now I think it's an anomaly. I think it speaks well for the future of what we will be seeing at the Emmys next year and the year after. Yeah, and I think to your point, it's it's a sign of two points of evolution. Number one, it's it's not just, but a part part of it is the bodies; these award bodies are evolving, right? But the other part of that equation, which you alluded to, is the fact that the content is getting better. It's not just that, oh, in the Oscars, the Oscars, you know, we have the, there are younger people that are part of the Academy now. It's a more diverse Academy now, but it's not just that. The movies are literally getting better. And I think the same thing is in television as well. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this news? Mandalorian gets nominated for the top prize in all of television, best dramatic series, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it has a chance to win? I don't honestly think it has a chance to win, but that's okay. Just getting a nomination is incredible. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. We're now going to go into the main body of the show, which is split into two parts. We're going to talk about some main topics, and then we're going to take your live questions. You can start sending in your live questions if you want for the live questions part of the show a little bit later on by simply using the tip link in the top of the description of this video. You can just click on it, or you can enter it manually, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. So thank you so much for that. But for now, let's get on to the main topics. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You guys come up with our main topics by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your topic or question featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, Let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jack Drees, who writes, No Oscars this February? Time to watch the Golden Globes. Oh, my favorite topic, the Golden Globes. It was announced that the Golden Globes plans to hold its 2021 edition of the ceremony on February 28th. Like the Oscars, they'll recognize movies put out for a time beyond the calendar year, highlighting work from January 1st, uh, 2020 to February 28th, 2021. Do you think this date will stick, though? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, the Golden Globes are indeed coming, and they're coming at their regular scheduled time on February 28th. Now, the reason this is rather interesting is because we just talked the other day about not only has the Academy Awards been bumped into late April, there is serious discussions going on at the Academy right now about just canceling the 2021 ceremony. And I'm still kind of feeling like that's what's going to happen unless the movies can really get ramping up here fairly quickly. So some people find it a little bit odd that the Golden Globes would move forward. Now, full disclosure, for those of you guys who are regular viewers of my show, 
you know that I do not exactly have the highest opinion of the Golden Globes. <laughs> I find them to be a bit of a joke. Unlike the Academy Awards, which is the Academy is 7,000 plus professional film professionals in the areas of acting and music and cinematography and directing and executives and publicity. It's a, it's a voting body of 7,000 film professionals who know film better than anybody. The Golden Globes is voted on by the Hollywood Foreign Press, which is about 60 or 70 individuals who just happen to be film reporters who live in the United States, but their outlets are outside of the United States. Did you catch that? It's film journalists who work for foreign outlets, but they themselves live in the United States. It's weird. It's just a voting body of 60 or 70 people. To me, it's completely irrelevant. However, they do put on a better show than the Oscars do. I much prefer the Oscars, but the Golden Globes do put on a good show. I'll tell you what, Rob, I am personally not surprised uh, by this move that they are keeping that that regular time, February 28th, which is a little bit later than they normally do it because Golden Globes usually do a little bit before the Oscars and the Oscars are usually the end of February. But this is roughly in the same time period that they would normally do it. And I'm not really surprised. And the main reason I'm not surprised that they're going to stay in that kind of date is for one very significant and very important reason. Television. Unlike the Oscars, Rob, and you and I know this, unlike the Oscars, which are exclusively movies, the Oscars are just movies. That's it. The Golden Globes are also television. They do movies and they do television. They do both. And we were just talking about the Emmys. The Emmys are moving forward because television didn't get shut down. At least not all the television that we had aired this year. That doesn't get shut down because of the pandemic. As a matter of fact, more people watch television because of the pandemic, because that's where they're at, Rob. That's what they're doing. And since at least half of what the Golden Globes is and half of what the Golden Globes does is television, it kind of makes sense to me that, yeah, they're going to be a little bit short in their movie categories because at least six months of the year has been lost. They're going to be short in their movie categories. That'll be a little bit odd. But their television half is going to be completely all things operating normal. It's going to be just their regular thing. And so on that level, it kind of makes sense that they're going to be doing it. So I, I got to tell you, Rob, for me, I'm not surprised that they're keeping the date. And I actually would say I think it's the right decision. That if you can stick to your regular schedule with minor inconvenience, then you do it, and I think it's the right move for them. Rob, you heard about heard about this. Do you were you surprised that they're not pushing the Golden Globes later? And do you think it's the right decision to stay where they are? I, I'm not surprised, and I think it is probably the right decision because, like you said, it's about television too. And if we've been getting a great, I mean, a terrific year of TV so far, uh, streaming TV, whatever you want to call it now, I, I. It's been amazing. I mean, the shows have been terrific, and I, I think I think it is the right move. You know, I and mean, they could, theoretically, they could even cut out all the movies if they wanted to, and still have a really robust show. Yeah, and adding to 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 all that, as a matter of fact, is I've got the picture up here. You know, it's going to be hosted this year again by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and I've got to tell you, I think that has been my favorite hosting combo of an award show in the past 10 15 years 
They yeah. do. Like I said, I don't care about the Golden Globes, but they put on a better show than the Oscars do. And one of the big things towards that has been Amy Puller and Tina Fey together. They are fantastic hosts. No they doubt. do. I actually prefer them over Ricky Gervais and Gervais has done some killer stuff at the Globes. I think Tina Fey and Amy Puller smoke them um, when it comes. They have just they've certainly been better than any Oscar hosting that we've had in the last number of years. And there have been some OK Oscar hosts. Don't get me wrong, but I'll look forward to the show, even though I don't care about the results of the Golden Globes. I'll look forward to the show. Question for you guys. What do you think about the Golden Globes moving forward for February 28th? Do you think it's the right decision? Do you think it's a bad decision? Are you surprised, not surprised that they're doing that? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our next main topic today. And our next main topic today gets submitted to us by Aaron Mitchell, who writes, Greetings from San Diego, Geo. Well, greetings, Aaron. I love San Diego. Wish I was there right now for Comic-Con, but obviously that's not happening. As somebody who really misses going to the movie theater, I wanted to know if you heard of this floating cinema idea. As a matter of fact, I have. Uh, they're going to be holding here and in a few other cities across the U.S. I think it's such a good idea that I can't believe no one has thought of it before now. It assures social distancing, seeing movies, and a pretty fun way to do it. What do you think about it? And would you attend? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, for those of you who may not have heard about this, there is this notion that's going to be done in a number of cities are going to be traveling this around. And I'm sure some local governments and local areas may do the same things for themselves where they have, you know, uh, bodies of water. But they're going to be doing it specifically in San Diego and a number of other cities as well. These floating cinemas. It's kind of like a drive-in, except you're going to be in a boat. So here's the idea. The floating cinema will be setting up a huge movie screen somewhere along the waterfront in San Diego. The audience will be seated in up to 24 mini boats, all spaced according to social distancing rules, priced per boat to better assure that groups are only seated with household members or close friends. Each boat can hold up to eight people. This is a remarkable idea. And you see over here, you're going to see a piece of concept art for it. This is what it'll look like. You're going to be in your own boat on the water. I have a feeling the screen they're going to set up is I just recently, me and Anne went to the Rose Bowl to go watch uh, a drive-in thing, but it was in the middle of the day. And the reason they were able to do it in the middle of the day was because instead of using a traditional projector, they used a giant LCD screen that was super bright and you could see it during the day. And it looks like to me, at least from the, the concept image, it looks like they're going to try to do that same sort of thing. Rob, you and I have been talking a little bit about the idea that they need to come up with like some new, innovative, creative ways. This sounds like a fabulous idea to me because, number one, it's novel. Like right. you, you go somewhere, you and your, your, you know, your, your family or your, you and a couple of friends get into a boat and they position you somewhere on the water and you're social distance from other people and you're hanging out in a boat watching a movie on the shore – that just sounds like a fun idea. Number yeah. two, it gets us seeing movies again. Now, they haven't really been clear about which movies they're going to be showing, but still, you're going out to watch movies again. I, I don't see a lot of downside to this, and they're going to be trying this across a number of different cities across the U.S. I think this sounds like a lot of fun, and honestly, not much different from a variant of just a normal drive-in. I kind of dig this. You hear about this. What do you think about it, and do you see any potential downsides? 
No, I mean, I think it's how fun would that be? I mean, the only thing is, is that like, you know, if you had a big Mexican meal before the movie and you go out in the boat and you're with eight people and suddenly you, 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 your tummy is a little rocking and rolling and you need to uh, alleviate yourself, what do you do? Do you just uh, go off the side of the boat? <laughs> or do you, <laughs> what do you do? Honestly, that, that was the only thing that came to my mind is, okay, let's say you're with you and four other people in the boat and somebody needs to go to the bathroom. What do you have to do? Do you, does the, I mean, I guess the only thing I can think of you is that the, the entire, the, well, I don't think they're going to be encouraging that, but the only option is the entire boat has to be brought back to shore. That means the entire party has to be yeah. missing out. So it'd be like, Hey, everybody, are, have you gone? Are you go before we get in the boat? Like go. Cause honestly, now the only other thing too, is there'll be selling concessions and uh, fair, apparently everybody gets free popcorn but there's going to be other concessions as well that you can buy and purchase but that means you got to make sure you buy your concessions because what happens if halfway through your buddy eddie says hey you know i want some m&ms well too bad we're watching the movie no 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 let's go back to shore i want to get some m&ms i mean that's the only other thing so those are the only drawbacks i can see is does the entire boat need to miss out on some of the movie because somebody needs to go to the bathroom and do you, I guess you'd have to make sure you get your concessions, but I can't think of any other kind of major drawbacks other no. than that. Unless there's like a floating outhouse or a floating concession stand <laughs> and you can like, you can like signal people, yo, what's up? And or, they set know, up like a, a target diet there and you make it a the, game. Ball game. You know, throw me one of those, throw me the juju bees, man. I'll tell you what though. I, I think when they do, I think they're saying they're doing this in August. Uh, when they do this, I honestly think I'm going to drive down to San Diego. It's about a two-hour drive from where I am. I think I'm going to drive down to San Diego to go do it. I, I just think it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, what if they had drone service to bring you concessions? You know, you could, you could, if they. If That's they had a great quiet, idea. You know, and, and you could use your cell, you could use your phone via an app. You know, and the concession stand would fly in the drones. You know, M and M's boat twenty four pay right. for it on the app. It flies. I love that idea. Right, that's a killer idea. Be, you know, you can you can drone service. Be great. I love it. Anyway, guys, question here for you is: What do you think about this idea of the floating cinema? If it's in a city near you, would you be interested in going to do that? I personally very much would be. What other drawbacks can you think of besides maybe having to go to the bathroom? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. <laughs> All right, guys. With that down. Let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam. And Sam writes, Hi, John. So with Avatar 2 being delayed again to December 2022, I now realize it's coming out the exact same day as Aquaman 2, December 16th. I am going to be honest. I didn't like Avatar, so I will be seeing Aquaman 2 on that date. My question is, what do you think will happen? Will one move or will they stay on the same date? I mean, that, that's a good question. Are they gonna, will one move or one stay on the same date? Or what do you think will happen? Will one move or one stay on the same date? Also, if it comes out the same day as Aquaman 2, do you think Avatar 2 has a chance to catch up to Endgame with the competition on opening day? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, I think that is a fact that actually flew under a lot of our radars. That... When they announced that Avatar 2 was being pushed yet again, Rob, all joking aside, Avatar 2 was supposed to come out 
in 2014 originally. (laughs) In 2014 is when that movie was. So it's been bumped and then bumped and been bumped. Then finally, 2021. And now it's been bumped again to 2022. And they're saying every two years in December, 2022, 2024, 2026, 2028, there's going to be an Avatar movie. That's the thing. But when they announced that move, I think what flew out uh, under a lot of our radars is the fact that it landed on the exact same release day, December 16th, 2022, of Aquaman 2, which gives a scenario of two giant films, one that made over $2 billion at the box office, the other joined the Billion Dollar Club, opening up on the same day, which raises a couple of questions. What could possibly happen here? What's going to go on? Now, this is, of course, all set up because Disney is now uh, moved Avatar 2 from its previous date on December 17th, 2021 to December 16th, 2022. The news was confirmed via the official Avatar Twitter accounts. James Cameron shared a letter acknowledging the delay while also explaining that it has to do with not being able to utilize their sound stages in Los Angeles. That's bullshit. I don't believe that for a single second. Anyway, here's what Cameron had to say about it, then went on to quote James Cameron. This is, of course, from Deadline. So, Rob, we've got this situation where we've got these two massive movies scheduled to come up on the same day. The way I see it, there are three possibilities here. Possibility number one, Aquaman 2 moves. Possibility number two, Avatar 2 moves. Possibility number three, they both stay and keep the date. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I think the least likely of that scenario is them both staying on that date. I mean, there's just, look, it's bad enough. The, The concept of having two big films open on the same day. Having $2 billion films and one of them was a $2 billion film opening up on the same date is just lunacy. Absolute, complete, utter lunacy. Uh, They might do it, but it doesn't change the fact that it would be absolutely absurd and ridiculous for them to do so. I'll tell you which one I think is going to move and I'll tell you why. There's a couple of reasons. Mm. One, I think what's going to happen here is Aquaman 2 is going to move. Aquaman 2 will move for two very important reasons. Number one, Avatar. while I am personally looking more forward to Aquaman 2 myself, make no mistake about it, Avatar 2 is going to be the bigger film. Now, there's, there's a lot of people who feel like me that's like, okay, yeah, I'm interested in Avatar 2, but I'm much more interested. In, uh, th- that's fine. But what people like me have to understand is just because I feel that way, And just because maybe my immediate circle of friends feel that way, you have to acknowledge that there is massive interest amongst the general movie-going audience for an Avatar 2. It just is. It's kind of like me with Man of Steel. I love Man of Steel beyond all shape and measure, but I still acknowledge that half the people hated that movie. Right. It doesn't change my love for the movie. I love it, but but I have to acknowledge that a lot of people hated that movie. So I acknowledge that. And I think people who are just like the very anti-Avatar group, okay, it's fine that you, you feel that way, but you have to acknowledge there. This, is, this was the film that was not only the biggest movie of all time, it held that record for nearly a decade. It held that record for nearly 10 years. And it took an MCU movie with over a 20-film buildup 
and about 30 major A-list movie stars all coalescing into their one final climax to finally beat that movie that stood for almost a decade in the top spot. We just got to acknowledge this. It's going to be the bigger film. Now, a lot can change once we see trailers. Like we might see the trailer for Avatar 2 and see the trailer for Aquaman 2 and the trailer for Aquaman 2 may blow everybody's mind. But you also got to understand, while a lot of people like me liked Avatar 2, it's not like it was the most beloved film of the year for a lot of people. You know what I mean? I think a lot of us were very pleasantly surprised by it. I really like Aquaman, but it's not like it was in my top five favorite movies of the year or a lot of people. Avatar, to some people, changed their lives for whatever reason, you know, and it was nominated for Best Picture. So reason number one that I think Aquaman 2 is going to be the movie to move is because I think just clearly Avatar will be the bigger film. I'm not saying it's going to be the better film, but I think it'll be the bigger film. The other one, though, is this, and this is probably the more important reason. Disney has already announced their plans long term. They want Avatar December of 2022, December of 2024, December of 2026, and December of 2028. They're not moving. Hell or high water, Disney's not moving that date. They've already planted their flag and announced the world. This is our long term plan for this. It's this. They are not moving going to budge. And Rob, if you remember, we've already seen a couple of other situations where a Disney and a Warner Brothers property were competing for a date. And both times it was the Warner Brothers company that decided to blink and move, which was, by the way, that's not a bad thing. Moving it to a more uh, more advantageous date is not a bad thing. But remember, Wonder Woman made a move. Remember when it was, what was it Batman versus Superman that was slated to go head to head with Captain America Civil War? Yeah. And who was the one that moved? They moved Batman versus Superman and it was the right move. So you look at all three of those things. The thing that I think Avatar is going to be the bigger film. I don't think Avatar is going to hit $2 billion. I think the opportunity for that has come and gone. I think maybe if they released it back in 2014, 2016, maybe I think too much time has passed. I still think it's going to be a massive movie. I do not think it's going to be a $2 billion film. But then again, ask me that question again once the trailers come out. But I think Avatar is going to be the bigger film. I think Disney has got long-term plans for keeping Avatars in December of every other year. And then when you look at the history, the precedence of this, there's only been a couple examples, but of the other previous two times when Disney and Warner Brothers have had two major properties going head to head, Warner Brothers has been the cooler head and moved their date both times. So because of all of that, I believe that we're going to see Aquaman move. If they don't move, if neither of them move, which one wins? Well, I think they'll both do big business, but they're both going to hurt each other. And I think uh, uh, Avatar 2 will come out on top, but I think it won't it won't do as well as it could have if it wasn't going head to head against Aquaman. I think Aquaman will still do very well, but it's not going to do as well if it wasn't going head to head against Avatar. So I think it's mutually assured destruction. If they both end up releasing on the same date, I think Avatar 2 wins, but it's going to be hurt. I think one of them will move and I think it's going to be Aquaman. Rob. We see this big clash of titans coming up. These are two big, big projects, both films I'm looking forward to. Again, I'm looking a little bit more forward to Aquaman, but what's going to happen here? Does Aquaman move? Does Avatar move? Do they stay on the same date? How do you see it? What's going to happen? Well, the big difference between the two is that one is already shot and the other isn't. You know, uh, (laughs) that's a a big thing, too. (laughs) Aquaman 2 hasn't begun production yet, whereas Avatar 2 and 3 were shot uh, simultaneously and they've wrapped 
I guess. I mean, I'm sure they'll do more, but um, so I think Avatar 2 is probably deep, deep, deep into post-production right now. I can only imagine. Plus, isn't it funny that both movies take place underwater? I mean, oh, Avatar that's the other big is, thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like these two Waterman movies <laughs> or Water Navi versus the Atlantean movies. And I think it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that Aquaman 2 is going to move. I, I mean, people, they've announced the date. I don't even think they probably booked theaters this far out. I mean, they don't know. It's it's not unusual to have a movie that hasn't even gone into production yet, especially now with movies that have already been made that were going to be released a year from now or even being pushed back a little bit. Schedules are changing. So I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility or is it going to bother anyone when when Aquaman 2 becomes a summer movie? I, I was kind of uh, speculating a little bit what, just on its base level. I mean, look. Aquaman was a massive success. It became the first DCEU movie to join the Billion Dollar Club. It was a fun movie that that I quite enjoyed. I think you liked it even more than I did. Yeah, I, I thought it was just goofy, hilarious, fantasy fun. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Armored sharks fighting dudes on seahorses. Come on. It's like the <laughs> now, thing. And, and Avatar, it's been a long time, man. It's been a long time since Avatar was in theater. So understanding those things... Let's say they end up going head to head. Which one does better at the which one comes out on top? Which one does better at the box office? And I understand we haven't seen trailers yet. We don't know really. But this far out speculating events, which do you think will be the bigger film? See, I think what's always forgotten about Avatar is I think we in the movie pundit space, it's it's fashionable to slag off on on Avatar. To sit there and go, oh, it's Ferengeli in space or dances with whatever it is, the Navi, where I saw Avatar with my mother, my old, my set, she was 70 at the time, and she's not exactly the most imaginative woman. She's a real pragmatist. She'd never seen a 3D IMAX movie before. When it was over, my mother's eyes were bugging out of her head for maybe the first time in her life, her imagination was completely engaged, and she she turned to me and she was like, how did they do that? And I think that was the case for a lot of not hardcore moviegoers. They went to Avatar and they were amazed. And I think that Jim Cameron, no one should ever bet against Jim. Titanic's going to be a flop. This Avatar thing's not going to work. Everyone's always betting against JC. But here's his his big directorial return after Avatar 1. He's playing with his new technology. He's been to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. So he's going to have a lot to say about underwater stuff. And I think he's going to blow our minds again. So never bet against him. I think that Avatar 2, once again, my mom, will, she'll be like, can we go to that? She's 81. She'll be what? She'll be 83 in, in, um, in 2022. And, and she'll be like, can we go see that? I like that Avatar movie. I want to see that next one. I want to go. And I think that because people like my mom will want to go, it's going to push it over the top. My mom has no interest in Aquaman. <laughs> I I think you raised a great point. Listen, a lot of people forget for many years, James Cameron held the title for biggest box office film of all time for a lot of years. It was Titanic forever. Then it was only beaten by another one of his movies, Avatar. He held the top two spots at the all time box office forever. I mean, just for a long, long time. And, and I'm sure there must be a Bible verse somewhere 
that says the fool says in his heart, it's okay to underestimate James Cameron. I, there's got to be a Bible verse about that somewhere. And, and a lot of people forget too, like when Avatar came out and I, I had no problem with it being nominated for best picture. I thought it was a great film. I, I didn't think it should have won and it didn't, but it's hard to imagine in today's day and age when we have like $200 million opening weekends plus Avatar opened with $75 million, which is a very good opening weekend. But you right. never think that a movie that opened with $75 million would go on to be the biggest film of all time, right? But that's because that movie, like you were saying about your mom, that movie completely captured people's imaginations. People were in awe of it. People were starting to build religions around the idea of the Navi and all this kind of stuff. Now, it hasn't stood up in pop culture like a Star Wars has or anything like that. And that's why I don't think it's going to capture that title again. But I think we would be very, very foolish that just because we, like you pointed out, Rob, it's fashionable to kind of slag on Avatar. It's fashionable. I think we'd be very, very foolish to take that and then make some kind of assumption that, oh, nobody cares about Avatar. Oh, you're wrong. You're so wrong. So now again, maybe the trailers come out and it looks like crap. But <laughs> but, but but until that time, man, I, I think you got to acknowledge that. Listen, I was so interested in this. I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. So just before the show started, I jumped on uh, the community tab on our YouTube channel. By the way, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, guys. I jumped on the community tab of our YouTube channel, and I simply put up a poll asking you guys that simple question. Right now, Avatar 2 and Aquaman 2 are scheduled to release on the same day in December of 2022. Which one will blink and move dates? I gave you guys three options, and already over 5,000 of you guys have already voted on this. I gave you three options. Aquaman will move. Avatar will move. Neither will move. 57% of you, a big majority of you guys are saying Aquaman will move. Aquaman is going to be the film that moves. And that's not saying anything negative about the film, but you're saying Aquaman 2 will move. 29% of you are saying you believe Avatar 2 will move. And 13% of you are saying, you know what? It's going to be a nuclear showdown. It's they're going to go mano a mano. They're both going to keep the dates mutually assured destruction. 13% of you are thinking we're going to get a showdown at OK Corral. Uh, that's where we're at right now. You guys, I'm going to leave that poll up there. You guys can go over to the community tab on the YouTube channel and cast your vote on that. But once again, 57% of you are saying Aquaman 2 will move. 29% of you are thinking Avatar 2 will move. And 13% of you are thinking neither one of these suckers are going to move. All right, guys, questions for you. What do you think about all that? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator, who writes in, Hey, John and gang. So it does seem like Tenant will indeed open on August 26th in many international markets and Labor Day weekend in the U.S. However, New Mutants is supposedly set to open two days later on August 28th. In most cases, having these two films open up at the same weekend would be a bad idea. But given the lack of new movies in theaters, do you think they can both open successfully that close? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. It's kind of another versus question here. Now, these are two movies... Now talking about Tenant and New Mutants that are not, you know, Avatar and Aquaman, right? Tenant is not a guaranteed billion dollar film. New Mutants is not a guaranteed $500 million film, to be honest with you. 
and it doesn't need to make that kind of money. But still, it's two significant films that are going to be opening up in relative close succession. Now, you're right. Under normal circumstances, if we weren't living in a pandemic, we'd be looking at this and saying, tenant, well, we got New Mutants opening up on one day, tenant opening up extremely close to it within a matter of days. That could pose a problem to both films. But does it under these current circumstances? And I'm not sure it does. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, let's say that Tenet does get to open in North America on September 3rd, like they're saying. It's not going to be wide. It's not going to be the 3,000 screens that normally accompanies a wide release major film. As a matter of fact, even Warner Brothers is using the language in select cities. And as Rob and I were talking a little bit earlier about this, that could mean, you know, that could mean 1,500 theaters. It could mean 15 theaters. Same goes for New Mutants, by the way. New Mutants could very well open in 300 cinemas. Maybe it opens in 1,000 cinemas. Maybe it opens in 30 cinemas. It just seems, you know, Rob and I have talked about this over the past week or so that it just seems like Disney is just like, look, whatever number of theaters are open, let's just put New Mutants out in whatever number of theaters are available. Let's just put it out at that time. So it feels like they're going. So I don't think this is a normal set of circumstances. Compounding that, that makes this kind of thing unique, Rob, is the fact that even if they do both open. And let's even say for argument's sake, they were both able to open in like a thousand screens each, with, which I think is optimistic. But let's for argument's sake say they're open on like a thousand screens each. The other thing that makes this very different and unique is that there's not going to be anything else. Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be an unhinged out there. Yeah, there's going to be, a, I think, a jillionaire is going to be out there. But really, for all intents and purposes... There's not going to be anything else in theaters. I mean, it will literally be New Mutants <laughs> and Tenet. And so that also makes us a very different situation from, hey, under normal circumstances, two big films opening up so close. Because not only they're going head to head, there's also like 10 or 11 or 12 other significant movies out in the theater. Some have been out in theaters for one week. Some have been out in the theater for four weeks. But there's still like 10 other movies out there vying for the entertainment dollar. Mm -hmm. That's going to be different here. So. I don't think either one of these are going to get massively wide releases. I think the fact that there's really not going to be much else competition in there. Ultimately, Rob, I think these two films can open up that close to each other and it's not really going to be an issue for either of them. So, and let's be honest right now, we don't know that either of these films are even going to make those release dates. I mean, I, we don't even know if that's going to, but if they do, honestly, I don't see it as a problem for either. Rob, what do you think is going to happen here when you look at this? Well, you know, to me, it harks back to the way movies used to get released and like roadshow uh, versions when like, you know, when Star Wars first came out, I think it was originally released in 35 theaters and then they opened it. You know, then it goes wider and wider and wider. This is kind of like that. It's kind of like back in the day they would release. They'd have a big prestigious opening where films would sometimes have overtures and intermissions. I mean, Tenet doesn't have that, but but it would only open in these these very marquee theaters and it was an event and i think this is kind of like that in a way it harks back to those days and so there is an economic model for the studios to consult and you know they open tenant they see how it does and then they open it wider and wider and wider i mean again the only problem is 
in this day and age with piracy and things like that. But but we'll see. I mean, I think it's look, it's a smart move because if anybody's going to get get people to come into theaters again, it, it will be Christopher Nolan, just like he's always wanted. And I think we're far enough. You know, we're still a month out. We'll see where where the United States is. Uh, I mean, maybe we'll we'll people will get smart. And when they go out of the house, they, they will wear masks and we will crush the this virus by then. Who knows? I hope so. But um, I, I, I kind of think this is going to happen this time. I don't know why. I mean, I don't I just think that people, they're trying to make it work. I mean, unless things go south very quickly, I think it's going to open. I think Tenant and New Mutants are both going to open. Yeah, I think the question will be, how much will it open? You know, well, right. uh, yeah. And I think they I think Warner Brothers, again, we are in unusual times. The normal rules don't apply right now. They're going to yeah. do things. We're going to see movies and studios do things that under normal circumstances would be unthinkable, like releasing tenant in international markets without a solid wide release date strategy for North America. No way that ever happens. That never would even be considered under normal circumstances. But these aren't normal circumstances and the amount that what's normal is being bent is changing every day. And so I, I think you're right. I, you know, I, I thought before that I think New Mutants will make that August 28th release date. Again, we don't know if this can be 15 theaters or 150 theaters or whatever, but I think they're going to do it regardless. And if they can do those 70 international markets, they're going to release it international. They're going to release Tenet internationally and they'll just put it on however many screens they, they can. On the third, even that means five. They'll do it that way. Yeah. I mean, we'll it's, it it, I just want it like in L.A. There's only I want to go see it at Universal or I want to see it on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, I hope they open in IMAX. <laughs> That's how I want to see it. I want <laughs> to see it in IMAX. It. Maybe we'll go see it on a floating cinema, Rob. Maybe no, we'll drive no, down no. to San Diego and watch it on a floating cinema. They can't give me the the floating cinemas can't give me the surround sound, the power of the surround sound that I'm going to I'm going to demand of that movie. What if they so. give you like wireless like high-end Bluetooth I know, but it's headphones? Still not, I mean maybe, but it's still not the kind of surround I like. I mean, that the, the the in the Chinese theater and the laser projection IMAX screen. Oh my God, that sound system oh, is just sure. to die for. But who are you kidding, Rob? If ten, if September third comes along, and the closest place and the the close the only way to really watch it is to drive down to San Diego and watch it on the floating thing. You're not going to wait. You're no, going to be in the backseat of my no, car, you're, you, and you're you going to be driving correct. with me and Dan and down to San Diego. Yes, yes, <laughs> I will do. I will. I will do just that. That would right, be guys. Fun. Actually, that would be fun to do. You know, it'd be a fun day trip. It would be fab fabulous. Anyway, the question for you guys is this: What do you think about this? Do you think these two films, Tenant and and New Mutants, opening up relatively close, could pose a problem for the other them, or do you feel like we kind of do that? Hey, under the current circumstances, it changes things. I don't really think it's going to be that big of a deal. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down and out of the way we're not going to move on to our live questions part of our show remember you can send in a live question right now simply use the tip link in the top of the description of this video or enter it manually streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip you'll be getting your question or comment on and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time with that said let's get into your live questions then we're going to start things off here with brian who writes 
Do you think screenwriters get the credit they deserve, whether it be good or bad credit? My point is, if a movie has a bad script, people blame that on the director. If a film has an amazing script, many people completely ghost the name behind the pen. Today is my birthday. Well, happy birthday, Brian. May you have a great day and a great year ahead of you. Yeah, listen, I have said for a long time, there are, there are two things. One, without question, the most important person uh, in the development of a film or, or 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 tandem of people is the director. That is the buck stops here person for everything that happens on a film. That's where the buck stops. But yeah, the screenwriter is underrated. Like very, very much. Because look, it is difficult to make a good movie out of a questionable screenplay. It doesn't happen often. It's... It's a lot easier to make a great movie if you have a good screenplay, man. It, it, that's where it starts. It starts with the narrative. It starts with the story. And it's very rare. Like you can probably name like, I don't know, two or three screenwriters that the average person will know. That's about it. But the average person may know the names of a lot of directors. They've heard of Christopher Nolan and they've heard of Martin Scorsese and they've heard of Steven Spielberg. And, they've heard, and you could probably list off a good number of directors that everybody knows. Are they underrated? Absolutely. If a movie's bad, that responsibility still lands at the feet of the director. I, I, yeah, there are uh, there are a million other reasons why a bad movie turns out bad. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's the direct, director's responsibility to take whatever pieces of the puzzle they have and make a good movie out of it. Sometimes their job is easier. Sometimes their job is harder. But absolutely, screenwriters do not get the credit they deserve. All right, next up, Jesse Keller writes, Hey, John, sorry if this has been asked already, but will you do a Snyder Cut film review once it finally comes out as if it was a new film? Maybe even a live stream discussion like you did for Endgame. I definitely love to be a part of that discussion. Yeah, I mean, I did the same thing when they did... Um Oh, uh, they did uh, Justice League, Rob. When they did, not Justice League, uh, bu- 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 Batman versus Superman. When they did the Batman versus Superman Ultimate uh, Edition, whatever it was called, uh, I did a separate review for that. And I will do a separate review for uh, for this one as well. Probably do a live discussion of it uh, because it's just been, it's just one of these things that good or bad, no matter how unbelievably awful it turns out or how unbelievably incredible it turns out this is one of the more for good or bad one of the more talked about projects and one of the most talked about things forever and so absolutely and and i just can't see any way that we don't do some kind of discussion about it rob what do you think i agree i mean if nothing else this is sort of unprecedented in film history so why wouldn't you you'd absolutely talk about it you have to compare and contrast talk about what succeeds what doesn't it's fascinating i'm com- i am completely fascinated from the by the business aspect of this whole thing and uh, the contracts that had to have been written how do they get it done so absolutely john i think we're going to cover it in many different ways actually you know it's this is still the one caution i give because i still have people asking me Hey, John, if this is amazing and everybody loves it, do you think X, 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 X and X can happen? Yeah. <laughs> and and I think what everybody's got to keep in mind going into this thing is, is this. Now, understand this is coming from a guy who I get complaints. I literally get complaints from how much I talk about Man of Steel. <laughs> I literally get complaining emails every week. From people who complain about me talking about Man of Steel. But guess what? It's my fucking show. I'll talk about whatever I want. Anyway, everybody knows what I think of Man of Steel. I think it's one of the greatest comic book films of all time. It's a top 20 all-time favorite film for me in general, comic book or not. It's the most underrated comic book film of all time. I love it. And that is all owed to Zack Snyder. 
uh, and what he did with that. But that doesn't change the fact that as much as he knocked, in my opinion, that he knocked it out of the park with Man of Steel, that doesn't change the fact that half the people hated it. <laughs> and inexplicably, I still don't understand why, but I accept that half the, half the critics liked it, half the critics hated it. Then came Batman versus Superman. Half the people hated it. I like Batman versus Superman. Half the people hated it. More than half the critics hated it. And, and so if you understand that, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be pessimistic about what people's responses are going to be to the Snyder Cut. All I'm saying is, look at what has happened already. And even though there are some of you agree with me that like he knocked it out of the park with Man of Steel, that he did, I thought he did a very good job on Batman versus Superman. I thought the movie could have been better, um, but I still enjoyed it. I liked it. That the fact of the matter is, that he did all that and half the audience has still hated it and half the critics or more than half the critics still hated it. And so I don't think we should go. I just think we need to temper our expectations going in right now. All I care about going into Zack Snyder's definitive vision of what Justice League was going to be. All I care about is do I like it? That's all I'm hoping for. Yeah. I'm just hoping I go in because I have liked everything other than Sucker Punch. I have liked every single movie Zack Snyder's ever made. Uh, there's not a single one other than Sucker Punch that I have not enjoyed. And so going into this Snyder Cut, all my expectations are I want to enjoy another thing that Zack Snyder has done. But anything beyond that, like having expectations that all of a sudden magically the whole audience is suddenly magically going to love Snyder's yeah. DC stuff when they have not yet. <laughs> guys, let's just worry about you and me, guys. Let's just worry about you and me. Let's just worry about whether we like it because I, I just don't see now. Dude, stranger things can happen. Maybe everybody rallies to and loves this thing. It's possible. I'm just saying we need to temper those expectations. What do you think? Uh, well, I agree with you. I mean, people are acting... Like, I find this an interesting anomaly in film history, and I, I want to see it as somebody who liked Man of Steel and like Batman v Superman, the ultimate cut. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And what I really most want to see is is his vision fulfilled. You know, because he did shoot the movie, and he did, he, uh, in terms of authorship. But, I mean, I even I, I don't expect this movie to be The Godfather, or Apocalypse Now, or you know, Empire Strikes Back, or anything. I just, I'm just curious to see it, and I hope for the people that have been fervent supporters that it turns out to be great. I want it to be great, but I'm not expecting it to be. I'm just expecting it to be interesting, and it has right. to be better than what they released as Justice League. I I, I like Justice League. I liked it. I, I didn't like it as much as Batman versus Superman. I'm sorry, I didn't like right. it nearly as much. Obviously, not in the same universe as Man of Steel. I didn't like it nearly as much as Man of Steel. Don't get me wrong. But like I, but then again, other than Birds of Prey, I have enjoyed every DCU movie. I even like Suicide Squad. I mean, it's a hot <laughs> mess of a movie. I know, but I even enjoyed that. I mean, I, but and again, I've liked everything Zack Snyder's done. But you know, we'll see what happens. All right, let's keep moving on here. Uh, next up, uh, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes. Um, where are we at here? 
There we go. Hey, John and Robert, Olivia de Havilland, uh, what to say, my first crush and a crush that lasts to this day. Not only a great actress, but a woman that was fighting for equal rights and pay for women her whole life. She was an awesome woman. And you know what? If I'm not mistaken, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe she was like the first actress back in the day to actually take the studios to court to mm. uh, because back in those days, like when an actor would enter into a contract with the studio, I mean, it basically meant the studio owned them. Yeah. And she took them to court and won um, get, getting the getting actors and performers a lot more freedom that we have today for actors to to, to kind of do I and explore you're right. their creativity. Um, I mean, she was so important to that. Uh, obviously, uh, an actress with five Academy Award nominations, two Academy Awards on her mantles, part of one of the most iconic films of all time in Gone with the Wind. Uh, I mean, it, it's just her place again. I think there should be like sports. There should be a Hollywood Hall of Fame. And if there was, she is, again, using sports terminology, she is a first ballot. Like the first moment she becomes eligible to go into the Hall of Fame, boom, you put her in. Uh, she, she belongs in there, man. Anyway, I know we talked about this the other day, but Rob, last thoughts on, on Olivia de Havilland. Well, no, she was a legend. She was an amazing woman, led an amazing life and had an incredible career that spanned over five, six decades. Um, yeah, amazing. I mean, everything you can't. And she was she was crushable. I mean, she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And, you know, I fall in love with actresses because of the characters they play. And she always played characters worthy of falling in love with, I think. Oh, that's a great way to put that. I, I mean, Maid Marian in Adventures of Robin Hood. Come yeah. on. Or, or swashbuckling and Captain Blood or whatever. I mean, she was just she was incredible. I, I <laughs> buckle my swash for her. Let me tell you. <laughs> and she lived to one hundred and four. Live to one hundred and four. All right. Next up, pineapple on pizza. Oh, I almost, I almost want to skip your question just because that's your name. Anyway, turning ten this week. Dinner for schmucks. Wow. Charlie St. Cloud, the Oscar and the Oscar award-winning film Cats and Dogs two. And turning twenty, we had Nutty Professor two. Which stands out to you? Honestly, Dinner for Schmucks stands out to me, but for the wrong reasons. Um, Dinner for Schmucks was that was one of those movies. It starred Steve Carell and Paul Rudd, who are just iconic i love both of these guys so much and you also had zach galifianakis was in that too if i'm not mistaken and i thought it was going to be the next 40 year old virgin the next anchorman of course both films that steve carell and paul rudd were both in and i thought it was going to be that next one and while it it had its moments it definitely has some laughs I was really, I was overall kind of disappointed. The more I look back at it, at it over the years, it's like that should have been the next Anchorman or the next, you know, Step Brothers or the next 40-Year-Old Virgin. When you look at the talent involved and it really didn't work out. Rob, when you look at these films, Dinner for Schmucks, Charlie St. Cloud, do any of those stand out to you? I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> it's funny that those are the ones picked. I, they, they, I don't own any of them on Blu-ray. Let me put it to you that way. That's that's a good measure. I, let's that's just say much, I don't. Any you of them know, if you want a litmus test for me and where where my head is at, that's a pretty good one. All right. Next up here, we've got Willow who writes: If you had to release uh, one for everyone to see, would you rather release your breakdancing videos or the rise of the Trudies? Your film can't be that bad. It won awards unless they were Razzie. No, they weren't Razzies. They weren't Razzies. I know. If I had to choose, 
and I had to pick one. I had to either release some old breakdancing VHS tapes, or if I had to release Rise of the Trades, I would probably release Rise of the Trades. Oh, uh, again, man. it's it's horrible. It's so bad. I mean, I thought it was so great. And then I went 10 years without watching it. And then my buddy sent me a copy of it again. So I got to watch it. I was so excited to show my wife. Ooh, and baby, I want you to see what your husband made. And we watch it. I'm like, oh, my God, it's so bad. But if I had to choose between the two, Willow, that's when I would release. All right. Next up, uh, Chris Jordan uh, writes. Uh, I hi, I rewatched it follows recently and it just reminded me of how good it is. Just wondering if you've seen it and your thoughts uh, if you have. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I was a little late to it follows. Uh, Rob, have you seen the film? It follows. Well, yes, and I own it as well. OK, so and, I was uh, a little bit late. I love the first half of it and then. I find it to be incredibly disappointing, but the uh, first half is great. It's great. Listen, I, I was, again, I was a little bit late to the party. So one night, uh, Ann and I, uh, some of you guys know Darina, but one night Ann and I, uh, went over to hang out with Darina and her husband, Brennan and Brennan plays in my star Wars group. And we were hanging out and we decided let's watch a movie. And like none of us had seen it follows and like everybody was talking about it follows and we're like, okay, cool. Let's watch it follows. None of us liked it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, and none of us did in, in, including like Dorino, who was like a big horror person. Like she's totally into horror. And but none of us like Anna was like, why are we still watching this? I'm like, I, why does every? I mean, conceptually, it's a cool concept, yeah. you know, that this haunting is, is an STD. It's an STD. It is literally a sexually transmitted disease, this, this death curse, right? It's a great concept, but like, yeah, I'm watching it. And then the whole pool scene and I'm like, well, that's where it goes. The, I mean, the, the pool, the, the boathouse and then the end pool scene, the boathouse was where the movie turned for me. And by the end pool scene, I'm like, none, you have set up none of this. None of these rules are earned. You clearly, you had a great premise, but you didn't know how to pay it off. And I love that's why I love the first 45 minutes. It's really creepy and effective. And then it goes nowhere. Interesting. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm not taking this away, though. A lot of people love this movie. Yeah. Like and a lot of people I really respect absolutely adore this movie and had this movie in like their top 10 of the year and all that kind of stuff. And I, I yeah, I just again, maybe it was a curse of being late to the party, but I just watch him like. Are we watching the right movie? Like this is the one that everybody's talking. I and I just didn't like it that much. But believe me, Bruh. Chris Jordan, you I are know. not alone, Chris. You are not alone, Chris. A lot of people love that movie. A lot of people love it. But hey, all films subjective. All right, Ryan Loner writes. Uh, the 90s X-Men animated series is now on Disney Plus. Yes, it is. Uh, it was a big favorite of my childhood, and I'm happy to say it holds up incredibly well. It went so much deeper and more intelligent than most kids shows back then. No, it really did. I mean, one of the interesting things about it, too, was it got into prejudices and things like that. It even there are episodes that actually really even get into the issues of faith and and all that kind of stuff. There's some actually really, really deep stuff. It is way deeper than you might think. And I, I don't have it with me right now, but my wife Anne just recently did a Jubilee cosplay like about three weeks ago. She went and did a photo shoot 
uh, in her full up Jubilee costume, which looked I'd awesome. Like I wish see that. I wish I saying. had the I wish I had the pick here available right now, but I, I didn't I didn't think about. It. But yeah, man, I love that. I mean, it's like one of the greatest theme songs ever to a. She'd make a great Jubilee. I want to see that. Yeah, no, it's a great outfit, man. You should see. It. It's fantastic. All right. Uh, let's see. Jo- uh, John Campia is my girlfriend's hall pass. Love it. All right. <laughs> One of two. Do you think that the streaming services that fail may eventually license their content out to the services that succeed? Or will their content just not exist anywhere? If that would be the case, could there eventually be just one streaming service with everybody's content at an increased subscription price? Now, I don't think that's going to happen. You think all the streaming services will stick around. I don't want more than two or three big ones for 50 bucks a month is cool. All right. So here's the thing. In asking the question of could we see one streaming service that starts to fail license their content out to another streaming service? Well, we don't have to wonder about that because it actually already happens. For example, let's take CBS All Access. CBS All Access has their Star Trek programming, right? Well, CBS All Access isn't in every country. And so what's their choice? People in that country can't see it. Or do they sign a deal with a streaming company that is in that country and put their content on that streaming service. That's exactly what happens right now in a lot of countries around the world with like, say, Star Trek Discovery. It's on Netflix in a number of countries where CBS All Access does not exist. Therefore, I think if a streamer like suddenly went out of business, I think some of their content would just disappear because maybe other streamers wouldn't be interested in that content, but some of their shows would survive. And probably move over because we're already seeing things like that happen. Do I think every streaming service we see right now will survive? No. We're kind of in the opening wild, wild west days of the streaming services. I think we're going to see a lot pop up and we're going to see some disappear. But there's always going to be no, a number of them. It's gonna, There's going to be multiple streaming services for sure. Anyway, Rob, what happens to content, do you think, uh, of like, say, I don't know, let's say for argument's sake, Disney Plus goes under. <laughs> what happens to the Mandalorian? Does it just disappear or would they license that out to another network? What do no, you they, think? Would, they would probably license it out. But, you know, I read something really interesting about Quibi that says that says after Quibi shows air, the rights to those shows re- revert back to their content creators, which I was like, that's insane. It only has to air once. So once Quibi plays something, the content creator, it reverts back to them like right away. That's why the new uh, Liam uh, Hemsworth show, um, The Most Dangerous Game, I think, or whatever, maybe it's not called that, it's The Hunted Man, whatever it's called. The creator of that show, once it's aired, can then take it and cut it into a movie that he can sell to Netflix, which I think is insane. I mean, Wait the only are thing. You that- saying, like, are you saying the moment it goes up on Quibi? Quibi loses it? Apparently. No, no. At, well, after it finishes airing. But yes. Like there's and no exclusive window? There's not a certain period of time there that might it's be a win- There might be a window, but the article I was reading was with that showrunner, and he was talking about repackaging his show and selling it somewhere else. And I'm like, how does that make any sense? That, you know, uh, that you, you Quibi isn't going to just leave that programming up, that they don't own it outright. I mean, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. Yeah, because the lifeblood of these streaming services is their exclusive content. If, if I can watch anything, first of all, I, who I'm never signing up for Quibi. But if Quibi, if I could watch all of Quibi's best stuff somewhere else, 
a few days later, why on earth would I ever sign up to Quibi? I, I don't I, understand. I do not know. I got to look into that because that's that's a fascinating idea. All right, let's move on here. Uh, good question, JC. All right, next up, uh, Olaf writes, play Yaya Ding Dong. Play Yaya Ding Dong. One of the most iconic things out of Eurovision. I, it is hilarious. Rob, I don't know if you saw this, but I, I don't think you've watched Eurovision yet. No, but, but I, I mean, I, I know what everybody was talking about. Netflix put up on their YouTube channel a 10 hour loop of Yaya Ding Dong. I know. <laughs> which is hilarious that they would do that. And like absolutely hilarious that they would do that. And I'm telling you, listen, I'll tell you what we've talked about before. That movie was far more charming than I thought it would be. I enjoy Look, I'm not sitting here telling you it's uh, like one of the top going to be one of the top 20 films of the year. Well, maybe this year, but uh, your vision ended up being much more enjoyable than I thought it would. All right. Toby writes, uh, sends in a $50 tip. Thank you so much, Toby, for supporting the channel on that level. And Toby writes in, I have listened to you since the AMC days. Thank you for all the great content. And thank you for putting uh, this on podcast. Oh, dude, thank you so much, man. It's always nice when somebody just wants to write in just to say something supportive and nice. And yes, of course, this show, as I said off the top, this is also available in audio only podcast form. For those of you who are interested, go and find it and subscribe to it on your podcasting app of choice. I should point this out, though, because I've had a few people write in about this on uh, Spotify. For some reason, there are two versions of the John Campia show podcast on Spotify. Hmm. And one is only updated to about two or three months ago. If you are subscribed on Spotify, just go into Spotify and search for the John Campia show again, and you should find two results. Find the one that is updated to the latest episode. That's the one to be subscribed to. But for all the other podcasting services, you should have no problem. Anyway, Toby, again, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And thank you so much for supporting the channel, man. All right. L. Crab writes or Crab L. writes. Uh, oh, I remember when I made that up. Crab L. All right. Uh, hello there, my friends. So I have these Star Wars comics from the 1970s that my stepdad left after he passed away. They're wrapped in plastic and in good condition. I love Star Wars, but I'm legally blind and I can't really read them. Advice from you or Rob, stay safe. Rob, I know you were just complaining to me that you and I were on the phone the other day. It's like, I've got all these effing crates of comics. I got nowhere. Yes. To what, what would you say to Crabell here? Well, first of all, if they're in good shape, um, there are some that are are worth some decent money. Like, obviously, the originals, if they're the original printings, the Empire Strikes Back issues. And also, believe it or not, the final uh, issue of the original Marvel Star Wars is worth money because they didn't print very much, uh, many. So I would, I would, you know, you, you'd, I would have somebody look at them. I mean, he might be able to make hundreds of dollars, but you'd have to get them... You have to get them graded and what are called slabbed, and they need to be of a very high grade. If they're not, if they're not in pristine mint condition, maybe not worth doing. But if they are, and somebody could look at them, and uh, you you could make some money. All right, thanks sir uh, for that info, Rob. All right, let's keep flying through these here. Admin writes, "Hey John, I mentioned a few months back that I was using my time stuck at home to write a novel. I remember you mentioning that. That's a hey man. If you're going to be stuck at home uh, during the lockdown." Flex some creative muscles. That's great for you to do, man. Well, it's been about three months, and I'm 20,000 words in. You're making some good progress, man. Um, Ooh, that's if great. You're, 
That is great. If you're interested, I'd love to send over a first chapter for you to have a read. Thanks. Well, first of all, I mean, first of all, I am completely honored that you would even think of that. I, I will tell you, though, what I, I tell everybody else. I quite often get people emailing me uh, asking me if they can send me their short film or if they can send me a copy of the movie they've done or send me a copy of, of this or, or, or that. And honestly, I, I just can't. I just I just don't have time. So I could say, yeah, send it. And, but I'd be I'd be. Uh, deceiving you because i'd be giving you the impression that i would actually be taking the time out to sit down and read it and if i i mean it sounds weird to say but if honestly if i did that for one person then i'm going to offend all the other people who ask me if they can send me stuff too um and and so i just don't have the time to do that but listen don't let that discourage you at all the fact you are in the one percent because everybody talks about wanting to do something but it's the one percent that actually gets their ass in gear and sits down and puts their nose into it and does it. And you're doing it, man. And that, that makes you rare. That makes you rare. So keep doing it. Finish that thing off, man. And let me know how it goes. I want to hear about it. All right. Next up, Alan writes, Hey, John and Rob, have you heard the rumor going around that Haley, uh, Haley Steinfeld was cast as Kate Bishop? Any truth to this? And if true, what do you think about it? Uh, come join Rob on the winning team, Team Godzilla. Screw that, lizard people. Uh, also, <laughs> when when can fans expect the release of the Campy Cup? Well, listen, the, the Haley Steinfeld thing, that's old. Yeah, it is. Like, that's that's like 2019 old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from what we understood, uh, she has been lined up to play uh, that in Hawkeye, the Hawkeye series, for a long time. Now, everything we've heard is that it hasn't been completed. That deal hasn't been completed. But I've never heard anything other than she's the one being lined up to do it. Mm. Uh, whether or not that actually comes to pass, I don't know. But I do know they have certainly had talks. So, yeah, that's all. Rob, have you heard anything new about that? No, I, I haven't. So I haven't heard much about the Hawkeye show or what they're going to do or anything like that. Yeah, I heard they just they just signed on directors and stuff like that. And so they're making progress about but where they act. Hey, look, just give me just give me effing Falcon and Winter Soldier, please. We've been. Can we just get that, please? Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on here. Doolittle's mom writes, who else is wishing that Tenet's release date would have switched with Doolittle's release date? Because we would have seen it by now. Imagine that. Or Bloodshot attempting to save theaters. We'd be doomed. I love my son. I get it, Doolittle's mom. Uh, but his movie was so horrible, I don't even know if I can forgive him. Listen, I I, I was pessimistic about Doolittle. Do you guys remember. I was pessimistic about Doolittle from day one. I said, like, do people really want to see this? But anyway, I was still expecting it to be decent, and it wasn't. I mean, all film is subjective. I'm sure there are people out there who really liked it, and that's great. But I thought it was really bad. And honestly, the first Robert Downey Jr. movie I've ever seen, there have been Robert Downey Jr. movies I haven't liked, but it was the first Robert Downey Jr. movie I've seen that I said, Robert Downey Jr. was not good in this. It's it's the first time I've watched a Robert Downey Jr. performance, and I thought, he was bad in that. Even when he's been in bad movies, I always thought he gave good performances. This one was not a good outing. This is a movie best forgotten. But it's in theaters in China right now, Rob. It, it had its debut. It hadn't opened in China yet, and it's now opened in China. So uh, let's see if they can make any noise over there. All right. Uh, Deshaun writes, I was not shocked to see the actor who played uh, Nubo in Daredevil Season 1 and 2 say uh, at the at the Say Daredevil panel that Joseph Loeb told all the writers on the Netflix shows not to write much for the Asian characters because nobody cares about them like now. Yes, yeah, somebody wrote in yesterday, Rob, and said, what do you think about uh, what the, the, the actor who played uh, Nobu said? And I'm like, 
I have no idea what the, the guy who played that said. I, so I had to move on. I then looked it up afterwards. And according to him, now you got to be careful about this because this is actually hearsay. He's not saying he heard Joseph Loeb say this. He said that he was told that Joseph Loeb said this. So now we're getting six degrees of separation. And there's a reason why under most circumstances, hearsay isn't admissible in court. Um, but yeah, the actor who played Nobu in um, in the Daredevil series, season one, said that he was told that Joseph Loeb outright explicitly said to the writers, basically, don't write much for the Asian characters because nobody cares about Asian characters. I don't know how legitimate that is. I'm not saying Nobu wasn't told that, but he didn't directly hear it himself from what I understand. If that's true, if that's true, and I'm not just saying this because I'm somebody who is married to an Asian person, that's fucked up. If that's true, that is completely effed up both from a human point of view and from an artistic point of view. From a human point of view, that's obviously effed up. But even from an artistic point of view, you follow the narrative, man. You make the best story. To come out with a directive that says, yeah, but just don't have much of the Asians in there. That's a betrayal of the story. I mean, hey, look, if you follow your story and it doesn't happen to involve a lot of Asians, okay, that's the way your story went. But to come out with a directive to say, hey, whatever you do, make sure the color yellow isn't in there. Whatever you do, make sure no one's wearing blue jeans. I, 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 I just, yeah. whatever random shit you want to throw in there, it's, it's, a, it's completely effed up. Again, take it with a grain of salt that he's saying that he heard somebody else say that they heard Joseph Loeb say. So you got to be very, so let's not jump to anything, but all I'm saying right now is that if that's true, that's effed up. Rob, you, you hear about that. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of things about Jeff Loeb in the, uh, 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 in the, in the news lately. Um, and uh, it, it is, it is effed up. I mean, again, you know, I don't think people in this day and age when people's lives can be actually harmed by public accusations like this, unless you have firsthand knowledge of it um, and you, you've either experienced it yourself or seen it directly, I think it's always iffy when you make those kinds of accusations um, because you don't really know what's said. You don't know in what context. And yeah, you know, I don't necessarily trust people. I think it was Robert Evans who said, you know, there's there's their side, there's your side, and the truth is somewhere in the middle or something. And uh, it, it, it's it worry, it's worrisome. But on the other hand, if that's what he said, that is fucked up. Like you're making a, a show that deals with martial arts and a lot. It, 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 it's such that's such an odd thing to hear. And what a, what a stupid thing to say. Um. And, and if if it's your show and you've hired actors, why would you want to not give your own actors on your own show juicy parts to dig into? Yeah, now look, and I, why would, you what I would be more forgiving of if he's if he went into the writers room and said, "Hey, this like this Nobu character, I don't really like the character. I don't think the character works for the show. Don't write much for that character." Right. I can live with that. that. Okay, fine. You didn't like, you don't think that character works for the story. I can live with that. But if it was a blanket statement like that, and again, this is a big if and we don't know, then then it's 
it's pretty screwed up. Um, all right, let's. Yeah. Ke- uh, yeah, we gotta keep moving on here. We're we still got a lot to go. Matthew Grant writes. Speaking of Spider-Man Two, it was the first time I ever saw Doc Ock as a badass character. Alfred Molina, who was incredible in that role, was awesome. Easily the best Spidey villain uh, that has been on the big screen so far. I can't see anyone playing a cooler Doc Ock. Well, I mean, then again, you probably never could see anybody playing it as cool as he did until he did it, right? So another actor could come along and do well. But you know what? I'm gonna say. Um, I agree with you. I don't think look, Michael Keaton as Vulture was fantastic. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio was really good. But I personally, Rob, I don't think we've had a better on screen villain um, it, uh, manifestation than Alfred Molina's Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2. What do you think? Oh, he was great. So great. Yeah, and uh, the, I, it was great because he had such a great relationship with Peter Parker before he 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 was, you know, turned villain because of the what happened to him? Yep. It was a great relationship. I, I love the way they handled that character. All right. Next yeah. up, uh, Matthew Grant also writes, as a kid, the lizard was always my favorite Spidey villain. I was excited for him in the amazing Spider-Man, but I was disappointed on how human his final design was. He reminded me more of a killer croc in Batman, the animated series than the lizard. You know, I really liked the lizard. I did. I know a lot of people liked that first amazing Spider-Man. But even amongst all the people who like the first Amazing Spider-Man, there's a there's a there's a certain amount of disappointment in just the lizard character, right? I gotta say, I I am different from that. I really like the way they handled lizard, and I like the look of the lizard too. I was a little bit iffy on what his big grand scheme and plan was, but you know what? Overall, I still like the character. But you're not alone, Matthew. There were a number of people who weren't that big on it. Uh, Superman Steve writes. Hey, John, I'm not hating on Aquaman, but I personally wasn't a fan of the first one. I don't see how it's uh, competition at all for having the sequel fall on the same day as Avatar 2. Everything we have heard about Avatar 2 sounds like it's going to be incredible. Oh, I agree. And listen, I, I thought Aquaman looked good going into it. I thought it looked good. And I certainly thought it was going to be a hit. I didn't think it was going to hit a billion dollars, but I thought it was going to be a hit. I never thought it was going to hit a billion dollars. No way. But it did. Um, it's one of those things, Superman, Steve, where you got to acknowledge that, okay, maybe it didn't work that well for you. And that's fair because all film subjective. But it did work for a lot of people. Uh, Rob, I said earlier in the show, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but while I think a lot of people liked Aquaman, it was never, I never got a sense from many people at all that it was beloved. You know, like the way that, for example, the way that uh, the first Avatar was when it came out, like that movie, people became obsessed with that movie and started redefining their lifestyles around that movie and stuff like that. I think Aquaman was a good, fun film that a lot of people enjoyed, went out to go see it and, and made some money. And I think they'll do it again. But I that's one of the reasons why I don't see comparing. When I say that, Rob, when I say that, I think a lot of people liked Aquaman, but I didn't hear a lot of people like beloved the movie. You know, how do you feel about I, that? I think there's a reason for that. I mean, Aquaman was a great fantasy epic. And it was fun to watch, but because it took place in such a fantasy land, I don't think there was a lot of people internalizing what was going on in in, in Aquaman. But the whole idea of, of going to a distant planet and Pandora, and there are these human characters that, that were being inserted into these Avatar bodies, I think there was a lot more personal identification with the story of Avatar. I mean, I loved Aquaman. But I watched it, I guess I would call from a distance. 
I was enjoying it the way I enjoyed a roller coaster, for instance. But when I get off the roller coaster, I, I don't internalize. I don't think about the plight of that. I don't I don't yearn to get into one of those avatar generators. And I, I would love to be a Navi. I would love to know what that was like, you know, to be a human person and have my essence inserted into a 10 foot tall Navi body and run through those jungles. And I think there was a lot of of people that were identifying with that and they were identifying with Jake Sully. It's, it's a, it's a different kind of a vibe. It's a whole different thing. And I think you're right. I mean, you know, like the dark Knight is a much more grounded movie. So I think people can personally identify more. Whereas Aquaman was, you know, it was, there was nothing real in that movie where I'm like, I could be that guy. I could live, I could go down to that. There is no Atlantis on earth. You know, there is, there is, there is, and if maybe if Aquaman was set on Pandora, people could identify with it more, but I, I didn't feel that way. Whereas I have a much more personal connection to the storyline of Avatar. And that's not necessarily, that's not saying one is better than the other. It's just saying that the experience is different of watching those movies. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, and the whole point you're making there about, you know, the the seeing yourself because there's also like there was underlying like there was a there was an environmental message in that which resonated with a lot of people there were bigger kind of uh, like grander sort of overarching themes that were part of it too and all that kind of stuff so it's it's a big thing rob we've passed 10 30 we know you've got things that you've got to run and do thank you so much for being here we'll of course see you back here again but in the meantime my friend where can people follow you and your adventures online well i'm gonna go be playing with my six scale jake sully action figure his my navi action figure from hot toys now but <laughs> in case if you want to find me after that uh, i'm on twitter at burnett rm instagram robert meyer burnett and find me on my own youtube channel the burnett work and my show Rob observations all right dude thanks a lot for being here again and i will talk to you again later my friend all right i'll see you see you later all right take care man all right guys with that down we still got a bunch of your questions to get to so let's keep right on motoring we got about 25 minutes left i think we can get through them all i'm hoping brandon writes uh there are three problems with floating cinemas one where do you go to the bathroom we talked about that a little bit earlier two since it's outdoors people will only go at night well no not necessarily because like i said in that um drive-in that ann and i went to at the rose bowl they set up a big lcd screen and you were able to do it during the daytime so there's that um and three i don't trust americans not to go to the bathroom in the water and throw their garbage into the rivers and lakes well listen but that's not new people can go out on boats and do that already it's not like wait a minute we can go out on a boat and that's never been done before right so i don't i don't think i think they'll probably have rules and they'll be monitored about people throwing their trash overboard or or going to the bathroom in the water i think they'll probably have rules but those that first problem though about like if one person in the boat needs to go to the bathroom then the whole boat's got to go back to shore i mean that that is i agree that's going to be one of the hurdles it's going to be interesting to see how they overcome that all right the facility guy writes I've been back to work for a month, even when the opening, because you work at a movie theater, if I remember, even when the opening date keeps moving, I have 24 screens and no content to watch. So I decided to make a DCP of MOS. I assume MOS is Man of Steel. Guys, please don't use acronyms. I don't know what DCP is. I made a DCP of uh, of MOS, and now it's playing on all screens, which includes IMAX and Dolby. Hey, man, if you got a whole theater to yourself and you can fill it with Man of Steel, 
That's the kind of movie theater I want to go to, my friend. That is the kind of movie theater I want to go to. All right, Superman Steve writes, I love the TV you have set up over your shoulder. Oh, yeah, I, I like this TV, too. Uh, I love the TV you have set up over your shoulder. Uh, it looks awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, also, I generally, I can't uh, tell you enough how much I miss uh, Chris Carr. That's Chris with a K, by the way. Chris Carr. Uh, sorry if I spell her name wrong. Yeah, I, I listen, I miss I miss Chris too. Um, actually, that reminds, I should email her. But again, until we get this pandemic thing under under control, it's, uh, it's just going to have to be what it was. But don't worry. You're going to see Chris again. We will absolutely see Chris again. All right, let's move on here. Next up. Uh, thanks for that, Superman. I'm sure Chris will will get a get a get a kick out of hearing you uh, bringing her up. All right, next up, uh, Garrett Couch writes. If people are looking for theaters, I know Marcus theaters are open and showing classics like Jurassic Park and Wrath of Khan. I've been going to their matinees here in Georgia, and I'm always the only one in the theater. They require a mask, but I feel safe. Yeah, the, here's the thing though. You got to understand that there are also like counties where theaters aren't allowed to be open. So even if you have a Marcus theater where you live, where you live may not allow theaters to be open right now. Right. So that's kind of the that's the big issue at the time. Um, And so, yeah, Marcus, it's, it's all about what territories where in the U.S. are theaters allowed to be open. And even then, some theaters may still not be open because they haven't chose to open, but some can and. I've personally been very jealous of people who live in those areas where they do get to have those theaters open because you get to go and watch these great classic movies on the big screen the way God and nature intend them to be watched. And uh, I'm envious, man. Here's hoping we'll get more of them open soon if people can stop acting like barnyard animals. All right, next up. Uh, Boris uh, Nekovsky. Uh, Nekakovsky. I hope I'm saying that right, Boris. Forgive me if I'm butchering it. I'm terrible at names. Uh, what are your top five movie-related whoops? I laugh every time you say something like, I wouldn't put it in my top five because of how much you don't like uh, to speak about it. Uh, but I understand it's because it takes time to think about. Makes me smile every time, though. Um, yeah, I, I mean... Because people come up with some really creative categories, right? Which I love. People come up with really creative categories, but here's one of the things that I've learned. And I've been doing this a long time, uh, going all the way back to my movie blog days. One of the reasons I don't like especially spontaneous top fives, top tens, whatever, is number one, because... I literally really would need time to sit and think about it. So somebody writes in, hey, John, what are your top five favorite movies ever released in October? It's an interesting it's an interesting question. It's an interesting category. But I would have to take time to sit down, go through, <coughs> go through all the October releases we've had over the past 50 years and really craft together a thing. Twitch, some people would say, well, didn't you just, just come up with whatever's off the top of your head? But I, I could do that, but then I'm not really answering the question. But here's the other big thing. People, look, there are very, very few people that do what I do. There are very, very few people who do what I do. Two hours a day live. When it comes to the interaction with the audience, not, nothing's prepped. Obviously, I prep the main topics. That's obvious. I do a lot of prep on the main topics. But then we come to like parts like this where people are writing live questions. They're not prepped. They're not whatever. And I'm able to sit here 
and rallying off a lot of stuff off the top of my head and blah, blah, blah. Most people, understandably, most people do pre-recorded where they can edit it and they can look up answers and they can do all that kind of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But very few people do what I actually do, especially in the, in the, in the movie realm. Not a, not a ton. You could probably list on one piece of paper, like the, the, the people who do what I do. But what I have found is that people weaponize things you've said before. So for example, um, one of the reasons I stopped giving, and you'll see how this connects to me doing top fives and things like that. One of the reasons that I stopped a couple of years ago giving numerical scores to movies because you notice when I review a movie, I just talk about how much I did or didn't like it. I don't give it a score. I don't say, at least I haven't for a couple of years, and I don't say, I give it a 7.5 out of 10, or I give it a little up. And the reason, one of the main reasons I moved away from that is because, you know, all films hit you differently. It depends on your experience, blah, blah, blah. But what I found was people would weaponize scores I would give. Because a movie would come out and i say, you know what? I, I like this movie. I thought it was solid. I enjoyed it. I thought it had a few issues, but I liked it. And I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. What would inevitably happen is I would get messages from some jackasses going, John, you just lost all credibility because in uh, 2014, you said this movie was an 8 out of 10. Are you saying that that movie's better than this movie? You don't have no... And they just, they just weaponize, you know, things that I've said to try... When, when really, look, when you're talking about a movie, you're talking about a subjective experience you had with it and blah, blah, blah. And I was giving scores out, like 18 different scores a week. And so I finally decided a couple of years ago, I'm like... Yeah, I'm just not going to give scores to movies anymore because people take that and misinterpret what the score meant. And trying to give a numerical value to a subjective feeling about a film is difficult. And so I just say, you know what? When I review a movie or TV show, I'm just going to talk about how I feel about it without giving it a number because people tend to weaponize that. Here's how this plays into top fives is that I know because this has happened to me before. (coughs) Pardon me. Had a drop go down the wrong pipe. Um, If I make a top five and I leave something off that list because I didn't think about it, what's going to happen is someone's going to weaponize that and go, uh, somebody's going to weaponize that and and go, um, oh, well, can't be a clear, can't be a hates hates this filmmaker because his film, this filmmaker had a movie come out in October and it was a great film and he didn't put it on the top five list. And I'm like, well, I, 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 I was just trying to come off the top of my head. I didn't think of it. It doesn't matter. Somebody's going to take it and try to weaponize it. When you do what I do, people are always trying to look for ways to get you. Here's, a, here's another good example of this. Like even when people try to weaponize what you say against you, even if they have to lie to do it, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I had a few people send me a link to this video that's going around that some loser jackass made. Um, that's like, you know, John Campia said the Snyder Cut didn't exist. And I took a look at this video, and what this person did was they took all these times I talked about the Snyder Cut and they purposefully edited out every point that I would say we're talking about a completed, ready-to-be-released film. Because you guys know, all the way back from 2017, the very first video I ever did about the Snyder Cut was in November of 2017. 
It was the very first video I ever made out of it. And in that very first video, I said what I always said from there on out. Zack Snyder has an edit of this film. He has that. But there is not a completed, ready-to-be-released version. That doesn't exist. You know, apples and watermelons, right? For those of you who've watched me for any period of time, you know what I'm talking about. Well, even though I've been extremely clear about that, I've been one, every single time I've been 100% clear, there's an edit of the film, but a completed version of the film does not exist. Even right now, a completed version doesn't exist. That's why they're spending $50 million so Zach can now finish it. But even then, people try to weaponize it. Because I had somebody, like I said, I had a few people send me this video of some, some individual who very disingenuously and very deceptively took that, edited out all the parts that made it clear I was talking about a completed version, and made it sound like I was just saying not even an edit exists, when if you actually watch my videos unedited, you see that's not exact. But still, there are people out there who try to weaponize stuff. And so when the, the topics, and I, I know I'm going on about this a bit, talking about the top fives, but it comes up a lot. Um, that's why I kind of hesitate to even just give random top fives off the top of my head that I haven't given real thought to because I know without any doubt if I leave off a particular movie or if I order them in a certain way or whatever, somebody at some point is going to take and try to weaponize that. And it's just a reality. Uh, particularly when you're even like modestly successful at what you do, people are always gunning for you. So, I mean, it is what it is. I honestly don't let it bother me, but that's why when somebody asks, and like I said, sometimes viewers ask, come up with some incredibly creative, incredibly creative category and say, John, what would you say are your top 10 of some really creative category? But that's why I just go, look, I, I would have to think about it. And without thinking about it, I don't, I don't want to just kind of randomly throw out stuff because even if I did just randomly throw out stuff, I'm not actually answering your question, you know? So anyway, that's kind of the whole background, Boris, to, you know, uh, why I, I try not to do that kind of stuff off the top of my head or things like that. But anyway, thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Okay. Sorry. That took a lot of time and we still have a lot of questions to get through. Let me keep rolling here. Joseph Sanchez writes, obviously Disney doesn't do R rated stuff, but if they end up doing it for Deadpool and show that they can do and show they can do, do you think they will branch out to other franchises? My friends and I all think an R rated uh, prime Darth Vader movie would be incredible. Thanks. I, I'm... Disney, by the way, through sub studios that they've owned have done R-rated content before. They have. If you go through the now never I don't think Disney is ever under the Disney banner made an R-rated film, but through their sub companies, they have made R-rated films before. So that wouldn't be anything brand new. With Deadpool, that's there's already a precedence for that, right? There's already precedent for Deadpool being rated R. That's why I still think they should put it under Fox, but whatever. I don't understand why there's any interest in an R-rated Darth Vader movie. Like, what what do we need? Like, I, why do we need an R-rated Darth Vader movie? Like, if you look at the end of Rogue One, 
where Darth Vader is wrecking shop. I mean, that's what a lot of people want to see. They want to see Darth Vader wrecking shop. Okay, they were able to do Darth Vader wrecking shop in End of Rogue One, and that wasn't R-rated. Like, are we saying, you know what we need? We need a movie where the camera cuts to Darth Vader and he's in a he's in a whorehouse and he's squeezing a girl's boobs. And then he says, fuck the light side. And that's what Darth Vader's new catchphrase is. Fuck the light side. You know, every 20 minutes he drops the F-bomb. Blah. That makes a good Darth Vader movie? Again, I'm just saying I don't understand this. There being any interest in a Darth... Like, what? So we... We need to see him slapping asses and dropping the F-bomb. That will make the movie good. I, I don't get that. You know, we see him splitting people in half and stuff like that in, in Rogue One. And a lot of stuff we see. The Darth Vader we've fallen in love with has always been non-R-rated. It's always been PG or PG-13. That's the Vader we've always fallen in love with. So I don't, I certainly don't think Disney will ever greenlight uh, a Darth Vader R-rated thing. And it's very different from, from say, Deadpool, because Deadpool, by nature, the character is an R-rated character. Always, you know, kind of has been, especially in, in his on-screen presentation. He was introduced on-screen as an R-rated character in the Ryan Reynolds franchise. So it would be one, it would be a different thing for them to continue on with that, rather than switching to a Darth Vader thing. So I just, I don't see there being a need to go R-rated with Death, Darth Vader to make it good or to make it something that people would be excited about. But that's just me. Maybe I should make a t-shirt with a Darth Vader helmet that says F the light side. I don't know. Maybe that becomes his new saying. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Joseph. All right. Tyler Weddle writes, hey, John, if movie theaters are going to require masks, does that mean that they're not going to be selling concessions? That's a major part of their revenue. I don't know about you, but I haven't figured out how to eat and drink with my mask on yet. Well, no, Tyler, what they would do is the same rule that they have in place for restaurants, right? Like, so restaurants that Ann and I would, and we would only go to these ones uh, when they were opened back up. Restaurants have a rule. It, you got to have a mask on to enter our, our thing. And whenever you're not at your table, you've got to have your mask on. Whenever you're not at the table and you don't have food in front of you, but when you're eating, you can have your mask off, which is fine because they have your table separated seven or eight feet from anybody else's table, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when you get up to go to the bathroom, you got to put your mask on. Do. I think... If restaurants can do that, then I think it's probably respectably safe to do that in a movie theater. Hey, when, you, when you're walking around the movie theater, going to the bathroom, being in a concession line, doing whatever it is you're doing, you've got to be wearing a mask. If you're sitting in your seat and you're going to be eating popcorn and stuff like that, okay, because they're going to social distance you if the movie theaters do it right. And that's a big if, admittedly. It's a big if. But if they do it right and they have you separated from other people and they do what a lot of restaurants where I live have done, which is they take temperature checks when you come in, make you apply hand sanitizer, blah, 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 then I think you're good. Then, yes, you'll be able to have your mask off and eat your popcorn or whatever because you're good six feet away from anybody else. Again, there's nothing that eliminates risk. I just think there are common sense things you can do to limit the risk. And I think if everybody did what we could do to limit risk, we'd be in a much better position than we are right now. But anyway, that's my thought on that, Tyler. Again, I am no medical expert. I'm just some dude who wants to go to the movies. Keep that in mind. All right, Dan Ketchum writes, uh, To the coronavirus pessimist in me, the matchups of Aquaman versus Avatar or Tenet versus New Mutants seem about as real as Muhammad Ali versus Godzilla. While I'd love to see it, I'm not holding my breath. Well, Aquaman versus Avatar, we're talking about two and a half years from now. So I wouldn't worry about Aquaman versus Avatar. That's coming. Although one of them will move for sure. I, I, I feel pretty confident one of them will move. And again, I think they're going to open up 
Tenet and um, and New Mutants, even if it's only in 25 theaters across the country. I, I mean, so I think that's going to happen too, but we'll have to see, Dan. And listen, you've got a lot of very good reason to feel pessimistic. Darren Barnes writes, I hope you're having a great day. I am so far. Thank you. Just finished Dark on Netflix. Absolutely amazing story. I know you are just about to start watching it. My question is around these types of complex stories. Do they storyboard the entire series before filming starts? No, 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 no. Very, very few series actually chart out their entire series before they start. Uh, many of them will do a season. They'll chart out the full season and maybe they've got an idea, but no, no, no. When they're because you don't even know if you're getting a season two. And by the way, you need your show to come out and you got to see how it lives and breathes because you can have your idea for where you want your show to go in season three, but you may get halfway through season one and see it on screen and realize, you know what? It's one thing in theory to think about where you want to go. Now that we see it as a living, breathing thing, we kind of feel it should go this way. Things like Babylon 5 were infamous for having their entire series planned out. And every once in a while you do, but that's rare. So no, most shows do not plan out the entire series. And like by to the degree of even storyboarding out an entire series, most don't do that. By the way, I started watching Dark. I hope it gets better. Because everybody's telling me to start watching Dark. Last night, Ann and I sat down and watched Dark. I hope it gets better. Now, I've only watched one episode, and it wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't bad. But I wasn't exactly hooked. Although, I was talking to Robert about it before the show starts today. And he said, believe me, it's a slow burn, but it picks up, man. I'm like, okay. I'm going to keep going with it. I'm going to keep going with it. All right, Chris Warden writes, Good morning, John. I just binged the Expendables movies, and what the hell was up with Expendables 3? I love the first two films, but the third film just didn't work. They took away the R rating and made a PG-13. Then, in the first 20 minutes, they break up the team, um, which was the whole selling point of the franchise, and replace them with new, younger team that nobody gives a crap about. I agree. I will admit, Mel Gibson was great. Bad guy. Gibson was awesome in that movie. Uh, he was a great bad guy in it but hopefully they do a fourth film to make things right go out on a high note i i mean stallone keeps saying he's going to do a fourth i don't think it's going to happen i'm not telling you it's not going to happen i'm just saying i'm i'm thinking it's not going to happen when you look at the box office results the fact that it got changed to pg-13 i don't think that hurt it much i would have preferred to see it stay r but i don't think it hurt it that much but you're right it's like we watch expendables for these iconic screen action legends and what do they do? They put they fill up half the poster with all these new young kids. And it's like, that's not what The Expendables is. And I think that I think you hit the nail on the head, Chris. I think that turned off a lot of people uh, off of it uh, initially. All right. An anonymous viewer writes. To me, The Amazing Spider-Man 1 is the most underrated comic book movie of all time. I don't understand why the movie gets so much hate. It is my favorite Spider-Man movie, and I definitely get a lot of flack for it. But it is my opinion, and I'm sticking by it. Hey, listen, I love the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. I love it. Um, I didn't totally love Lizard, but I really like Lizard as well. And like I said on the show before, while I hate romantic relationships in comic book movies, my two big exceptions, Tony and Pepper and Peter and Gwen. Adam Garfield and Emma Stone's Peter and Gwen, their chemistry worked for me. And that's very, very rare for me in a comic book movie. I don't want to see romance in a comic book movie normally. But Tony and Pepper and Andrew and Emma, that, that one actually worked for me. And I love that movie, Anonymous. So you, I, I still think Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2, is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. 
maybe very, very close tie with Into the Spider-Verse. But hey, man, you love that movie because I love it, too. All right. Desmond writes. Just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Desmond writes. Um, I watched Superman 1 and 2 for the first time and thought 2 was miles better uh, than 1. Did not care for 1 at all. Is Donner's Cut different enough that it's worth the rewatch? I don't think it's, it's not that different. Uh, gonna skip 3 and 4 and watch Returns next. Yes, you can skip Superman 3 and 4. Believe me, you can. Uh, always love Man of Steel. And it's cool to see the original. Yeah, again, we talked about Superman 1 yesterday. I get it. When you watch it today for the first time, it feels like it doesn't hold up. It feels like it's a little hokey. I get it. But you got to understand, when that movie came out, there was no comic book superhero genre in the theaters. It was the movie that convinced you a man could fly. That was their big selling point. When you understand that, it was revolutionary for its time. I get it. People watching for the first time today, maybe not so much. But at the time, it was incredible. But I agree with you. I thought Superman 2 was significantly better. I love Superman 2, even though they do some ridiculous things. Like, what's with the what's with the saran wrap Superman logo? I, I don't know. They did a lot of weird stuff in that movie, but I love Superman 2. All right, Captain uh, Slackbladder. I love the name rights. Hey, I'm from the UK. Following a rough start to the year with my mom passing away. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, man. With my mom passing away suddenly, I found a great release by watching your show. For a couple of hours a day, I was able to let go and relax with fellow film fans. Thanks so much for everything. I've been a Patreon since May. Well, thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter, Cap. I appreciate that. Uh, keep up the great work. Is there any director that you just don't get the hype about or you just can't get into their films? Uh, this isn't to say they're bad movie makers. Team Godzilla, but if Godzuki shows up, it's all over, man. Well, listen, Cap, first of all, thanks for being here and thanks for being a part of our community, man. We, we appreciate that. And it's amazing that movies and the movie fan community can be that reprieve uh, when we're dealing with crappy stuff. And again, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. That's that's awful to hear. In talking about directors that you just don't get the hype, I, it's been my same one forever. I don't think this dude's a bad director. Don't get me wrong. And he has a couple of films that I do like. But I've never understood the obsession with Tim Burton. I, I don't like Tim Burton's stuff nearly. As, and again, I'm not saying he's a bad director. Don't misquote me. But I've never understood how some people just have him in this legendary level. I personally, personally, I think he's really overrated. Again, he's got a, he's got a couple of films that I, I do quite enjoy, but I've never understood. And that's the beautiful thing about it being subjective is that you don't have to understand it. And that's fine. I have never understood the obsession. A lot of people have with this stuff. I know it's very stylized and, and, and that's great, but yeah, I, I've got some friends of mine that just like top four directors of all time, Tim Burton. And I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. But but that's just me. But that's the great thing about movies, man. We all have our different opinions on that. All right. One last quick one here. We'll do uh, Mr. Uh, Graham 91 who writes, good morning, John. So what's the status of you moving right now? We don't know. Uh, we were we were looking at we were, it looked like we were going to move to Seattle because Anne left her job at Hasbro to go and take a senior role over at Amazon. So Anne is now with Amazon and their head offices are in Seattle. It looked like we were going to move to Seattle, but now it's sounding like she might be able to, I don't know for sure. It sounded like she might just be able to work from home, period. And so we may not be moving to Seattle. I don't know. Right now, we're at least not going anywhere until at least 2021, 
but we may not have to go anywhere at all. So I'm not really sure we'll have to wait and see. All right, guys. Uh, listen, there are still a couple of questions to come. Uh, Evan Ryan and a few people else uh, beyond Evan Ryan, do not worry. We will start tomorrow's show with your questions. So we've got one or two questions left. We will start tomorrow's show with your questions right off the bat. So make sure you come back and join us. And by the way, guys, you guys can start sending in questions for the live questions part of the show. Even now, you can start sending them in. So they'll be amongst the first tomorrow. StreamElements.com slash TV slash tip. And that will do it. For today's installment of the John Campus Show, guys, thanks so much for being here. Special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett, and a special thank you to all of you guys who did send in the questions for two reasons. Number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, and number two, you supported the channel along the way. Don't forget, we'll be back again tomorrow. Click on the subscribe button, become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks so much for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.